Scott, you're going to record. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm here, as always, with my friend Richard Harris. And today we are joined by Dale Dupree, famous sales leader, speaker, copier, warrior, copier guy, and uh, founder of the Sales Rebellion. Dale, thanks for joining us today on the show. Pleasure to be on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm a little jealous of two guys right now they're both uh in florida like you know, <laughs> a couple feet from the the ocean and the and the beach yeah. although there's no waves in key west that i know nah. of. Yeah. yeah there's no there's no waves here either so we uh, can make some i mean if we yeah. it, like that attitude man yeah there's no waves like but we can make some bro if you wanted <laughs> make it happen so tell, so tell tell all the listeners um you know what the sales rebellion is all about and like I, Every time I see the Sales Rebellion, all I can think about is Star Wars. So I've just been dying to ask you, like, is this literally a Star Wars reference? Is this what it is? You would love my my keynotes and my my presentations to to teams, you know, internally because all throughout the slides are Death Stars and X Wings, and it's a lot of fun, dude. That's great. And, and, and no, it's not, unfortunately. But Darn. but what's really funny about that is that when I was 17, we got signed to a record label, the band that I played in. And the band's name was called The Red Letter. And there was actually a, a, a bunch of other bands that had red or letter, or and it, it was actually, we named the band was, I'm, I'm a man of faith. And so the band was actually based around the red letters, like Jesus's actual words in the Bible, like in some translations of it, they would, they would put red over the letters. And that was kind of my way of kind of creating a ministry around my music and not being super preachy to people, but having nuancing who I was and what I believed inside of everything that I did. And it was, it's, it's who I am to this day, right? But we had to change it. And so in the process of changing it, I thought, well, I want, if we're going to change it, I want to have fun. And, and I, I love Star Wars. It's one of my favorite things in the world. I think that it's a big contributing factor to my creativity and who I am today. My mom was the first person to ever show me a Star Wars movie. And so I convinced the band to name the, or the whole, all the members to name the band Imperial. And the thing was, is that <laughs> I told them it was based around a dolly painting that was like the Imperial something. <laughs> and, and I swear to God, they all figured it out at some point, but I got them to say yes, bro. And that's all that matters. That's the, that is the ultimate sale that I've ever made in my life. And so, that's so nuancing that into the sales rebellion works just the same, right? So I'd like to tell people that I've trained Luke Skywalker and I'm way better than Yoda. <laughs> that's hilarious dude that's fantastic what um just like what kind of music was it you were in a band you clearly that's always a fun story well sometimes it's sad for the musician too but um what kind of what, what did you play what instrument were you singer just give us a little more about yeah. you so i was i sang in the band and we had we had we had a core group of guys in the beginning that that ended up we, we came down to three at a certain point there were six of us in the beginning and then at one point it was down to three but I like to play all the instruments. My mom um, took me to piano lessons when I was a kid with my sister. And then my dad bought me my first acoustic guitar. I told me if I learned it, I could play the electric guitar kind of thing, right? And then um, my dad ended up buying me a 12-string as well, too, at one point. So I, kinda, I just always had rhythm, right? And, and I, could, I could get on the drums and play and keep up with you. I wasn't the best drummer. I could get on the bass and play and keep up with you. I wasn't the best bassist. But what I was really good at was singing. And so I, I, I took the front spot of the band. And look, I mean, like, everything you're all thinking it i know you are like you're like this guy like this is the sales guy right here like he's the front man of the band he's making them name you know the band things that like nobody even wanted to in the first place like 
Yeah, that's it's true. Judge me. <laughs> Rock oh. and roll, folk. What was your what was your genre? What was your band? Oh yeah, my bad. It was it was heavy metal. And when we were it was 2004 when we got signed and started touring and, and released our first album. We started around the year 2001. Yeah, so imagine that era, not the 90s or the 80s version of metal, but like the metal that like if you had a kid playing metal, you were very worried for them. <laughs> <laughs> jeez, jeez. So what so so sort of fast forwarding, but how did you go from obviously the band thing decided not to work out for whatever reason? Um, how did you end up choosing a career in sales or did the career choose you? So that that actually dates back to my father. He, he founded a, uh, he was a salesman, a copier salesman, actually started selling papers. So he was like Dunder Mifflin Ultra back in the 70s. Like take Dwight Schrute and just throw him in the trash because my dad was like the man, right? So, so my dad was a salesman all my life. I grew up around that mentality and I grew up around that work ethic, that passion, that desire to serve others in the community. And because of that, I always had it in me to be some type of salesperson to some capacity. But it, it really happened in 1984 when he founded his, his own copier firm. Because in 1985, I was born with toner running through my blood. So it, it was like destiny, bro. It was going to come back. And the idea in the copier world, we joke about this all the time in the copier world. It's like once you're in, you're in. And if your dad had a copier company, you'll always be haunted by copy machines, like forever and ever. Or your mom, right? Because that that what's great about the multi-generational side of it is that you find a lot of women owners in the copier world as well, too, or they're running it with their husbands. It's actually a very it, like lucrative business. And and the big piece of the puzzle is, is that it's very family friendly, believe it or not, even though it was like the scummiest place to sell, you know, because you'd have the family up at the top trying to find the right salesperson and they found them all right. I mean, they found like the literal worst human beings in the world would show up to the copier world and sell millions of dollars in revenue. What does right? that mean? What, is, what, what does that mean? The, the worst person in the world? Like give us an example. Yeah, I'll break that down because there's probably some people listening like you're so unfair right now, Dale. Why are you so unfair? Listen, right. I'm super blunt and, and honest and black and white about things. That's really all it is. And so what I mean by that is that but Dale, we want you to world. tell us how you feel. Please tell us how you really feel, Dale. <laughs> That's how we do things at Serpent Sales. Don't let hide behind jump, this stuff. Yeah, let me jump through this microphone right now. Hold on one second here. So, so, so this is the thing about sales that my dad always taught me. My dad taught me that sales is a very dangerous place to be. It's dangerous because it will test your, your ethics. It will test your morals. It, it, will, it will test the way you look at work. It'll test the way you look at community even. And, and then we have a choice every day in sales to rise above and to choose this concept of legendary, which is, it ties back for us, the sales rebellion into legacy, or we can just be mediocre. And mediocre to me are the people that, that it doesn't mean that they're not selling a lot and making a lot of money. It means that they've chosen something that's easy, right? Uh, that, that path of least resistance. And in the sales world, the stipulation of, or really the stereotype of salespeople is that we all lie and we suck. I mean, that's what everybody thinks, right? You know, I, my friend, Adam Snyder, a uh, real good friend of mine, he, he talks about it all the time, these stories that he tells where he'll be at a party and someone says, oh, you're in sales. You must be really good at, at, at talking or you must be a great liar, you know, things like that. And we, I hear that kind of stuff and I get a little cringy about that in the first place. But you know, for me, it was about understanding the role I was going into and, and the reputation of the role I was going into and changing the game and, and coming at it from a completely different direction. But I had a great mentor, dude, my dad. My dad believed in the copier. 
right? He believed in the community. He, he was convicted on a daily basis to do right by people no matter what, right? Just talking about that today with a group of folks that I was with about decisions inside of sales that we get constantly to lie a little bit, right? Or a lot of it. <laughs> and, the, and the idea of choosing to, to rise above those things and not to, to play in that, in that game. Any, 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 without, you know, throwing your dad or the company under the bus, but, you know, any horror stories of a sales rep and what a sales rep did to move a ream of paper uh, that you can share just, just from the, like, please people don't do it this way. Bro. I can, I can share stories from like two weeks ago. Right. And I, <laughs> I, I, I'm and I, no joke. And, and honestly, guys, like the whole reason I was, I, trying to, I was trying to help us make the profession more noble. I was trying to make it be <laughs> like, Hey, you're right, Richard. That doesn't happen anymore with sales. Yeah. Right. Well, well, that's why we're having this conversation. Right. I mean, honestly, that's why we're having that, this conversation because we need to start to move it in that direction. But, and not to say that it has into some capacity. I'm not trying to sit copy, here and say is copier, I'm- Is the copier world sort of slower to adopt new kind of best practices? It's like, imagine like going and buying a car in this day and age and, and like multiply that by a million, like just the terrible side of it. You know, the, there's a lot of shady things that happen inside of certain industries, right? When they teach people how to, you know, make everything free up front and then screw you on the back end. You know, it's like getting your cable bill for the first time after you signed up for a $50 a month program, right? And it's like $800. Like, oh, I forgot about the box that you got to buy. And, you know, oh, and we gave you HBO because you, you said you wanted it. We didn't tell you there was a price for it, right? There's all these different things that, that happen inside of the copy industry just the same, where and again, I'm not going to say names, right? Like you said, but but these are people that I'm connected to to some to some um, capacity, and you know, hearing their stories directly or experiencing it. To be honest with you, I've experienced things just like this. But you know, how about reps um, sending themselves emails of signed paperwork, going in and whiting the the signatures and the dates and some of the fine print, and then typing in using today's modern technology what they need it to say. So lying to the customer basically about what what's going on. I had a rep do that many years ago, long before I knew you, Scott, and we were selling educational software. And the, the beauty of it is he, he made fictitious POs. He would go in and just change like one number or one letter and photocopy and do that. But the irony of it all was that the people buying it were a prison. So here he is forging orders for <laughs> educational software wow. that insane. are going to be used in a prison. Yeah. <laughs> so I, these stories do exist, my man, they do exist. So, so, so anyway, so you left, but, but what made you, I mean, it was in your blood. It, it seems like you never really had to think about it in terms of like, oh yeah, I'll just go be a salesperson. Um, is it, was it really for you? Was it that simple in your head? No, no. I mean, I wanted to be a rock star, you know, I, so to be quite, it'd be easier, easier for me to deny the emotions I truly felt and, 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 just kind of say, yeah, you know, it was easy, right? Like, it, well, I wanted it, you know, to an extent, like I wanted to be around my dad. He was my hero. He was my best friend. He was my mentor. I wanted to run the family business to some capacity. I felt call, a calling to do so. I loved what he had built. I, I loved the community that surrounded him. I loved his friends. You know, there was it just, I longed to be a part of that to some capacity, right? But in, in, in my heart of hearts, I, I was going to be a rock star, right? I was going to do that. And, and I struggle with self-worth, especially at that time, you know, today I'm, I'm much more of a champion of those types of disbeliefs of myself. But at the time, you know, I, I wondered, am I good enough for this? And it, and then when I do it, am I going to be faking it? You know, am I going to sit here and tell people like, Oh, my dad's a really good salesperson and depend on that my whole life, you know, like what, how do I overcome these things? And, 
It, you didn't yeah, want to be right? Tommy Boy, right? Ripping so let me, I want to, up, yeah. Yeah, I want to, I want to, so I want to ask you a question because I think this happens a lot as I'm a father, I, I'm on the road at the moment, um, I travel a lot for work and I'm very conscious of the relationship I have with my sons. Um, you know, like I've, I've made it an effort that when I travel, I don't, you know, told Kathy this week, no more phone calls. It's all FaceTime. Even if it's with her, we need that little bit of FaceTime if I'm traveling uh, with her or with the kids. What, what, you know, what was your dad like? What is your dad like in terms of what are the things that made you so close to him? Um, because I think to the point he's helped build a lot of character in you and of you because of him. Um, what do you think makes a good dad? Just out of curiosity, for for a dad in sales, even or a yeah. mom. Let's even because look, there's a lot of working moms out there too. Like I won't. It's not a gender thing at all. So sure, I understand. Yeah. So for me, it would be the idea of just being present, constantly. You know, my my dad and and his sales role, he didn't separate them either. You know, I I want to also kind of I want to be very clear about this. Actually, I don't believe in this idea of go to work from eight to five and then be yourself outside of that. Like, I don't believe in this balance concept that people talk about. And I will, cause I watched my dad with conviction live this life of the, the opposite, which was that my dad and all of us knew exactly what he did for a living, how passionate mm -hmm. he was about it and how he loved the community in which he served. You know, so like I even told a story today about, um, I lost my dad at, in 2016 to cancer and I, I, I gave the eulogy. And I stood up in front of a, over a thousand, you know, this room held 900 people. And I, I mean, there were like people standing on each other's heads, dude. I mean, there was no seats. There was no standing. There was no lane. There was no nothing. Right. It, the whole hallway through the back was just still people coming in, you know, signing the book, getting through, trying to come and pay respects to a legend. And, and so when I think about a, a father that, that was truly inspirational, but also not just a good business person, Right but somebody that set the example for me and my siblings and somebody that, that believed in us and that, and that was extremely intentional about their time with us and presence was that I, I remember my dad, you know, even hearing some of the stories from people after the, at the end of the funeral and in fellowship with folks, I remember hearing stories like, yeah, I met you when you were, you know, six years old, you, it was a Sunday afternoon and your dad came to my office to help me, you know, get a toner cause I had to work late and I had an RFP due and, you know, nobody would have done that for me. And, you know, he brought you because it was your day with him, you know? And I remember, I remember those things too. I remember, you know, late nights on Fridays where we'd go on dates with dad and, and, you know, we'd get dinner and then he'd go, okay, we're going to go stop at this one place real quick. Right. <laughs> and, you know, you'd be there for 45 minutes helping him run copy jobs and, you know, and right. he'd give hugs when he got there. And, and so my dad wasn't just intentional, like with us, he was intentional with everybody. Right. And because of that, there was a balance. The balance was that, my dad believed in the success of people while they walked this earth. My dad believed in eternity. He understood where he was headed and it wasn't to, to some kind of fame or glory or victory from the perspective of retirement or, you know, what most people sit around and, and, and hope for one day. You know, my dad truly believed that his time on this earth was sacred. Every moment was precious. And he showed us that every day. That's great. Did you ever, as a kid, did you ever get annoyed that you had dates with dad? Like, oh, dad, really? We got to go do that? Come on, dad. It's our night to go do dinner and a movie or like, or did you guys just sort of realize that's just who dad is at some point? You know, yeah, you were just happy to be with them. At some point, you definitely realize it. In the beginning, you know, honestly, like I never remember it bothering me. I think more or less when I was a teenager and I wanted to be, 
uh, you know, out with my friends watching movies and things like that. Like the, there's a rebellious stage no matter what in our lives, right? And I mean, it's the, the company name is also an ode to my, my father from the perspective of that in the process of the things that I was building for myself, I was creating my own rebellion, like a very altruistic one though, one that was based around the concept of hope. You know, uh, the realism of, of what a rebellion is to me is that we all have this authentic walk. And my father was, he was showing us his every day, right? We got to learn by example from that perspective. And, and so for me, what my dad was helping me to understand is that even though I wasn't happy to go out with him, he didn't say things to me like, you'll regret it one day when I'm gone, right? You know, he didn't, he didn't even think like that. You know, my dad just met me where I was always. Didn't matter what, who what my attitude was that day, or if I was, you know, changing, you know, because I was becoming an adult, um, which is, you know, pretty funny. You go from child to this weird thing and then become an adult. And it's, met, met you, like, met you where you were. What's that yeah. mean? My dad always met me where I was. My dad met me in my depression. My dad met me in my struggles of, with my faith. My dad met me when I was having a hard time with my girlfriend, who's now my wife. You know, my dad met me in all these places. My dad met me in my, and my addictions, you know, even my dad was always the guy that would meet me there, right? He wasn't the guy that would stomp his foot down and say, how dare you? And you're, you've dishonored the family. And my dad would meet me where I was and how I felt, right? He didn't project himself into those things. He didn't say, you have to do it this way. He didn't say, I'll be here when you fall because I'll show you what you did wrong, right? My dad was literally the leader that stood to, to the side, right to the side of me, to my left or my right, didn't matter. So that when I fell, he fell with me. When I had to crawl through the mud, he crawled with me. Never complained about it, right? And he allowed me to work through those things myself. I think that one of the big pieces of the puzzle that my dad showed me, and, and I, I hope that my son feels this way too one day, is that you know, the leadership style in which we raise children is to understand that one day they will have their own mindset, their own ideas, their own dreams. My dad nurtured those things. My dad made sure that even in stuff he didn't really agree with, you know, I mentioned the heavy metal band earlier, not to say my dad was about voiced disagreement, but you know, my dad took me to the concerts, dude. Hey, and he never, he never, and listen, like there was like, there was things that happened in, in those instances that were weird, you know, like people dropping F-bombs on stage and I'm 13 years old and my dad's like, and they're smoking weed. And you know, my dad's probably thinking to himself, this isn't too good, but he never said anything about it. He never embarrassed me with it. He would just ask me like, Hey, what'd you think of this? Right. He would meet me there. He would, he would get my opinion. He would allow me to be expressive. And then, and then he led by example, right? He showed me how to treat a woman like a queen, right? By, by his example to my mother, right? He didn't tell me this is the way you do it, you know? And I, that's really what I mean by meeting me where I was at, you know? And I think that every father should have that in mind when they're, when they're looking at their child, whether it's a, a male or a female, son or daughter, you, you have to look. And like, for me, I want a daughter one day, and I don't know if you two gentlemen have daughters, but I want a daughter one day, and I already know that it's not gonna be easy because I, I can't think like a woman. And I'm gonna be madly in love with this young lady, and she's gonna be 16, worried about makeup and boys, and I'm gonna be like, I need a loaded gun right now is all I needed. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, Scott Scott and I, uh, we, we lucked out. We, we only have to pay for two rehearsal dinners. Nice. Um, we, don't have, we don't have to pay for the wedding, so. Uh, but you know, in a in a terribly gender dynamic world, but it's a joke, people. For less, can't get it. Don't don't listen. One of the things <laughs> that I I find interesting um, about you, Dale, is that you have kind of grown up inside of this one very particular niche industry, and it's not 
you know, SaaS and it's not software. But how have you managed to bridge the gap or how have you managed to transcend industries? How have you gone from just, you know, and I don't mean to minimize what you've, what you've done, but like, how have you gone from just being in the copier business, right? To making an impact on salespeople all over the place, regardless of, of industry. What, what talk to, talk to us a little bit about that journey and like what's been some of the, the tricky moments to, to navigate. Yeah. So when I, when I first started writing my book, um, and I've got, I actually, I have a book and then I have an origin of the book. And the origin was that when my father was diagnosed with cancer, I started writing his story, his and my story, um, because I didn't know how long I was going to have at that point. I hoped that he would be cured and he would, he would fight through it and live. But three years later he was gone. And, and during the, those times I started to, to spell out like my daily routine, you know, what was happening from my perspective, what I could gain from his perspective. I was telling stories. I was, you know, again, giving experiences. And, and I realized in the process of that, that I wasn't talking about like, how to sell a copier necessarily. And in those, in those stories and the things that I was building in that, in that memoir, which um, I'll give you an exclusive right now, when I finally release it, it's going to be memoirs of a copier salesman, blood, sweat, and toner. And it's going to be an ode to my father's business and the legacy in which he built. And, and, and inside of those stories, though, Scott, I realized that what I really had done for myself was what all salespeople need to do to build a foundation, to understand the basics of human psychology, of human behavior. What is a story? How do we tell it? Why is it important? Why do we need to look at the neurological side of our, our genetic makeup? And just us as humans, you know, 99% of humans are all made the same right? Why are, why are we so different? How do we look at these things, make sense of them for different verticals and create a system that works for anybody? And that's, that's really where the, the foundations of the rebellion come from. And that's how I worked through it in my head. Was it scared? Was it scary for you at all? Did it feel like, you know, you were pushing yourself and going, going outside of your, your comfort zone? Or was it, was it much easier than that? Because you had this, you know, foundation I should have told you that I, you were like, at the beginning, you're like, for all the listeners, Scott says, anything off limits? I should have been like, please don't throw me hard, you know, super hard fastballs. Come on. So <laughs> I'll tell you straight up. Let me be extremely vulnerable here. It is one of the hardest and scariest things you will ever do to sit down and write out what it is that your dream looks like and your passion on paper, how that is translated because you will immediately think to yourself, what will others say about this? Or you immediately, or you immediately think, holy shit, I'm really far away from that. <laughs> yeah. One of the other, right? Yeah. For sure. A hundred percent. And, but both of those, those thought processes, they're toxic. They, they have no place in your life. And it's good to question things from an intellectual standpoint or from a process standpoint to the, from the respect of, could I get better at these things? Could, could I change the messaging a little bit to be less self-righteous or self-centered or self-serving and, and help others more? And I think that's what I started to come to realizations on more so than, than beating myself up or, or, you know, falling to imposter syndrome in the process is that I started to sit back and say, well, really what I need to be focused on is how is someone else going to read this? That's what I really need to be focusing on. How is another human being going to read, dissect, and then digest this information? So in the process of creating those things, you know, I started to realize even because look, the one thing about the copier industry we don't talk about is that I, the, the amount of people that I did business with, right, 
furniture salespeople, moving and storage companies, IT firms before the copier industry adapted to that and adopted it and started selling, becoming um, you know, MSBs, right? I was learning these people's businesses, financial advisors, you know, like what's your cycle look like? How are you talking to people? And I started to realize that it's funny how we all like when we get into a vertical and we get and we're in sales that we're we're like, this is how you do it, you know. And yeah, you get real I, you get real myopic with it. Yeah. hundred percent. So I, I really realized in the process of that that we need to we need to stop making sales so complicated. You know, because I had done something extremely basic and then taught other people the basics of it, right? And the, and the things that are hard about it is the, eth, the work ethic behind it. You have to go out of your way to create a marketing, a transformational marketing piece instead of just getting on the phone and making a cold dial, right? You have to go out of your way to do shit like that. I'm sorry if I'm not allowed to use language, my bad. I get passionate, guys. So, but, but you, ha you, have to, you have to really commit to these things. And so what I realized is that more than anything, we're speaking to the personal development of a, of a human being when we tell them about how they should be interacting as a salesperson more so than the activity itself yeah. and, and the tactic. That makes, that makes a ton of sense to me. I can remember, this is years and years ago. I don't know if I've ever told you this story, Richard, but um, when I was first going to grad school, I was 23 years old and uh, I was in my first semester there. And I can remember the, the dean of the department sort of asked me like what I wanted to do. And I, I told him that I wanted to, to help people. And at the time, I was thinking I would get into like corporate training and, and go down that route. It had nothing to do with sales in my mind, but I thought like, well, my dad is a teacher. Like, I, I really like the idea of, of, of helping people and kind of coaching people and things like that. Um, and he was like, man, you might be in the wrong place because business and sales is not really about helping people. And I never, I'll never forget that. Um, and it's, I, I've, I've sort of spent the last 20 years like <laughs> kind of, thumbing my nose at that guy who, who, who told me, you know, maybe sales and maybe business is not the right path to go down, but it really is like sales is an opportunity for all of us to work on all the things that we have going on, overcome all these difficult challenges, transform your life. And when you give it back, transform the lives of others. And that's really one of the most powerful things, you know, that, that you can do um, as a human in, in this world. You should, you should, you should, Call them out, mention it. It's ASU, right? And then we'll send them this to say thanks for for helping me build my career around something I didn't believe you told me, right? <laughs> you, you could you could thank him anyway, right? Because yeah. that has stuck with you for twenty years, uh, yeah. which, which is amazing. Yeah, so, indirectly, apparently. Exactly. Yeah, I'll, you, I'll, I'll, yeah. chime, I'll, I'll chime in on that real quick for the the listeners to get real deep. Is that that's the concept that we were just talking about of meeting people where they're at, like to be able mm -hmm. to just forgive that man. And, and even ask for forgiveness in the process is a super healing piece of the puzzle for us yeah. as humans in yeah. most cases. We're afraid of that kind of stuff, yeah. you know, and, and not, not that anybody on this call is, right? But there are people listening and there are people that I coach and there, there are those of us that have been doing it for 20 years and haven't figured that part out yet because yeah. we, were, we were cultured differently, right? My dad was empathetic. My dad cried. My dad, my dad was not this tough guy, although he beat the heck out of you if you, you touched any of us. Or, right? I mean, he had a reputation for it when he was younger, too. But when, when he found his faith and, and uh, denounced alcohol, he was an alcoholic up until 35, um, you know, he became a different man. And, and that's the man I knew. I was only a year and, and four months old when, when my father found sobriety and found the Lord. And 
And so I lived this entire lifestyle of understanding a leader that, that would, I would watch him go to people and ask for forgiveness. Right. And when I was thinking, even as a, as a young adult, like this person owes you an apology, dad, like let's be real. Right. But I, I found so much power in that, and in, in that concept and that when people are, are softened through those types of things, the real truth comes out inside of them, right? Like, why did your leader feel that way about business? You want to know? You just go and apologize to him for the way you felt about him for 20 years. And he'll tell right. you straight out, like, dude, yeah, I was abused. I was, I was addicted to drugs, whatever it is, right? Like, it's wild, the stories that come out. But that, like you were saying uh, a little bit ago, is that that's the human connection side. That's, and, and that's what not, makes us stronger as a community. To, not to minimize uh, how many folks are like that in, in other disciplines and professions, but you know, I, I have always, always said that, you know, sales is like a garbage can of jobs. It's just like collects other people's trash. Right. right. And here we are in this bin and yet many of us, you know, find our way out of it and make something of ourselves. And then, you know, I think more and more now people are talking about the need to give it back and to help and uplift others and, and, and teach uh, others. You know, any sales floor across the country, you know, is filled right now with people who are, you know, struggling with addictions and regular decision-making in life and all sorts of challenges. Um, it's a really powerful platform, I think, for people who are passionate about making an impact, um, you know, on others. And I, and I know, you know, enough about you and your story that, that that is kind of ever present and, and always at the top of your your mind. So yeah, so Dale, I want to I want to touch on this a little bit. Um, I did not know the the st your story of, of struggles with with drugs or alcohol and those things. So I, you know, congratulations on managing through that and working through it every day. And and certainly I'm, I'm I lost my father a few years ago, so I totally understand what that's like. Um, you, know, you know, one of the things that I'm hearing from you though, sort of underneath all this, is you got to do things to keep yourself healthy. But you got to do things, whether it's in your sales or in life, like you need to take, I call it mental health or mental well-being. For me, it's, you know, seeing a therapist or seeing, um, you know, or, or doing meditation. I've heard you allude to faith quite a bit. Um, is that your, is that your happy place when you can take time and just think about your faith? And that's how you, because we all have our bad days, right? How, how does Dale handle a bad day? Yeah, I, I proactively approach every day from a positive perspective. And, you know, and you can always feel them coming on the night before even, you know, especially, mm -hmm. you know, if you struggle with things like depression, like I do, or I have, I should say, I'm trying in 2020, I'm trying to, to proclaim victory over my depression. It's one of my resolutions for myself. I started in all my resolutions start on my birthday every year, September 9th, the day I came into this world. I don't really believe in January 1st, like I'm going to cut weight when I, when I get to my birthday, I'm like, all right, I'm another year old. Like what's changed and how am I getting better? And so I, I, I decided that I wanted to start to proclaim victory over that. And I think that that's the mindset that people need is that they need this idea. You know, like you believe in God, you believe in yourself, you believe in some type of God, the universe, you know, it's the idea of connecting with something that's bigger than you more than anything that, that will help you to understand just how small your problems are to begin with and, and just how much power you truly have over them if you recognize and embrace them and instead of trying to skirt around them, you know? And so, so my father was an alcoholic. Um, my brother um, has struggled with uh, things in that, in that genre for, for some time as well in his life. And, and my brother and I are best friends. 
And I know he doesn't mind me giving a little bit of information away about him, but I'm going to leave it at that. But the difference between me and my brother is this, is that, you know, when I, when my dad died, even, and I started to just drink way too much and started to become a little overweight, even in the process. And it was affecting my mental health even further. I was able to sit back and, and realize like, this is not good. <laughs> like this is something that needs to change. And, and so my style, uh, my genetic makeup, I should say, allows me to flip a switch, right? And so I remember when I quit smoking cigarettes in, in 2011, you know, so I, I've been, here I am smoking cigarettes since 2001, 2002, somewhere in there when I started playing music. 2011, I'm, I'm up in Tennessee with some friends and my wife, and I had been smoking all the way up the drive, you know, the 10 hour drive from Orlando, I've been smoking cigarettes the whole way up. And I got out of the car. It was like one in the morning. Everybody's getting out. They all smell like smoke. And I took that pack of cigarettes and I threw it in the trash. And I'd only smoked like five out of the pack, right? And everyone was like, what'd you do that for, right? And I said, I quit. Yeah. And that was it. <laughs> you know? one, of, one, of, one of the things that, um, you know, I believe that I think a lot of other people don't believe is that change happens in an instant. And I think a lot of people think that change takes time. Um, and you know, the story that you're talking about, you know, I can relate to, I was in the hospital for four years dealing with all sorts of physical illnesses, had major surgeries and was fighting for my life for four years. And through that process, you know, I was on narcotics and, and opioids medicine for four years. And so by the time I got physically well, now all of a sudden I had to deal with an opioid addiction. And I cold turkey, you know, I signed all this paperwork in the hospital, like against doctor's orders. I told him, no way, man, like I'm done. And I, you know, and that was it. And I, and, and I was done. And I know it's not that simple sometimes for everybody, but I'm a huge believer in, you know, if you want to change something bad enough, it's just the power of that um, sticking to it, sticking with it is, is really important. And, you know, whether it's quitting cigarettes, quitting drinking or changing your, your lifestyle, uh, and your goals, whatever it is, like, I really believe that, that we can change, you know, in an instant rather than gradually over time. So, Agreed. I, I'm, a, I'm on board with that thought. Be, and I think that we use the concept of, of time as a crutch too often. And that, and that we have to start saying this. We have to say it to the young men and women of the next generation, especially, because the more that we do, and we create this, this aura around something that's extremely false and untrue, it's a lie. The more that we do that, then the more that we enable this mindset of toxicity, the more we take people down this path of resistance is really what it begins to be at some point. Like, oh, I just need another year. Oh, I just need, and then they're 55 saying the same thing, right? We should be striving toward decimating the things that, that, that harm us in our life on a daily basis. You know, there's a lot of people that struggle with more than just the substance side of things too, right? There's people that struggle with, uh, you know, all kinds of different um, subjects that they're afraid to talk about because a lot of people say like, oh, no, that's actually not a struggle. That's okay. That's just you being yourself, right? And like, that's not the truth at all either. So, you know, I think at the, yeah, at you, the same time, it's like inside of this instance of change happening, you'll be attacked from all angles, yeah. and everybody it, and their mom. And, and, and people hold on to the old versions of themselves and the old narratives that they've they've created, they say things all the time, like, oh, that's just how I am, right? Uh, oh, I'm so, you know, I'm so this, I'm so that. Like, you got it, we got it, we got to get people to believe and understand that, no, that's not who you are. That might be how you've been, but how you've been doesn't have to mean 
that's who you're going to be forever. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd like to, you know, I think we've all been through stuff, you know, Scott knows my struggles on whether it's food and sugar and, and, uh, you know, my own depression, Dale, we're more than happy to chat with you about, um, I think you'll be the first person I say this to. I would love for you to come back on. And I think the three of us should have a deeper discussion around this stuff too, because I mean, we could go on for an hour that I think people would really, really love and uh, give people more, you know, more hope and faith and all those kinds of things. Cause I think it'd be a, a, an amazing discussion and yeah, it relates to sales in a lot of ways. So, uh, but I, I do you know, super appreciate you sharing your story, man. That's amazing. My pleasure. Yeah. yeah. It's my pleasure. So, you know, we always sort of turn this around at the end of our podcast and, and turn it around and go, so Dale, what can we help you with, right? How can we help you? You've given us, you've given to the audience. What can we help Dale with? You know, I think the, the, I, that question always throws me off. Not, not the way you ask it, actually. The way you ask it is awesome. Um, but the, there, there are people in this world that think that just like asking that generically, that it works somehow, but but because I know your heart and I know what it is that, that you want to accomplish and what you guys stand for, it makes it so much easier to have an answer even prepared, you know, in my head, because I know that y'all will get this. But to, to help Dale is to help the community in which I believe that I'm serving and that I long to be in front of on a daily basis, right? The people that we're talking about right now, those that are lost and struggling in sales, those that are broken by sales, you know, bring me your weary, right? I say that all the time. I say it to, to leaders, especially. I, I look forward to helping people like that recognize their true potential, the power in who they are and their authenticity. Whether it feel like a weakness or not, there's a truth that lies behind it that most people need help to understand. And so to help me, you know, the, the best answer I could say is help me build my rebellion. My rebellion is, is, is a movement. It's not about the sales rebellion as a training and, and um, you know, coaching firm. It's about from the sales perspective, it's about making people better. It's about your life, right? If you chose sales, awesome. We're, we love that you chose sales. We believe that everybody is in sales at the sales rebellion. You know, my book talks about that more that's dropping in a couple months, you know, but, but if we looked at things more from the perspective of that, then it would be easier for us to find cohesion between one another and not look at people with titles and look at people with, with stereotypes, you know, preemptively. You know, so for me, the, the thing that I believe that would help all of us, right, by helping me is to build this rebellion alongside me. And it's not like send them to this website and sign up for $99. It's about the mindset. It's about the thought process. It's about changing the game for sales. It's about starting to choose to give our prospects an experience. It's about taking culture and community and, and making that greater than commission checks. It's about treating people like a human being, right, instead of a transaction. It's, and it's about getting away from this concept of, of product over those people at the same time too. How can I push this thing? How can I make this work? How can I get this sale? Because I have to hit my quota. How about you just don't? How about you just help? How about if it's not the right fit, it's not. And how about in the process of doing so, you connect with someone, right? That you serve them, that you take this, this leadership action of, of servanthood. You know, as, as, a, as a member of a community that's very large, there are a lot of salespeople out there. Right. And, and a lot of them subscribe to the people that are popular these days that, you know, I've got a video that just popped up on my LinkedIn that a friend of mine, Dusty Rollins, one of the most amazing men that I know. He's somebody that I've worked with. He, he literally made a video for me. Right. And it's very well produced. And it's him telling the story of what I've done for him. 
And dude, I watched that thing and you couldn't literally couldn't talk to me for five minutes because yeah. it broke me. And, and that's what, dude, could you imagine if all of the salespeople on this earth were seeking that type of outcome? Who cares how much they pay? Who cares if they even buy? What kind of impact are we having on people? And, and what, did they get at, what did they get out of it? So to help me is to help the community. Yeah, I love that. And, and, I, and I think, uh, I feel That's, like- There's so many snippets in there. Yeah, I, I love that. I feel, I feel like I'm certainly trying to do that. I think that, uh, you know, whether I realize it or not, hopefully you agree that I feel like I am part of the sales rebellion. I'm sure Richard, Richard does. Likewise. And, uh, I'll be an imperial stormtrooper yeah. for the sales. Y'all definitely rebels. Y'all are rebels. You, uh, I know yeah, you're gonna be. I know you're gonna be in Austin soon, and, and when you're in Austin, let's go grab some barbecue or something, and uh, and and hang out and catch up. It's always good to uh, talk with you, man. Yeah, for sure, man. And if anybody's listening to this, and they're gonna be in Austin in March as well too, they should send us direct messages and come fellowship with us. SDRs, account executives, go. receptionists. Come on, let's hang. That's awesome, right, dude. Man. I love it. Appreciate Dale, it. this is going to be one of our best. This is going to be one of the best episodes I can already tell. You, you've been you a guys. tremendous, a tremendous. We appreciate you, man. Like I, I want to have you back on soon. So um, I could just sit and listen that, to you all day. I, I, I could literally just sit and like listen to the Dale Dupree podcast all day long. So, so, <laughs> so thanks, Richard. Thanks uh, a lot, man. Yeah. Thank you, Dale. We really appreciate it. Thanks for sharing all your stories and, uh, uh, you know, whatever you need, we're always here. Yeah, we're appreciate here. you guys very much. All Thank right. Till next, till next time, everybody. Yeah.